Today I'm going to be talking about discipleship and what that is and what it looks like. And yep, I have a little video to show you. It's pretty cheesy. I think it was made by like a youth pastor and I movie, so, but great message. So bear with it. <laughs> Ever wondered why Jesus' last command to his committed followers was to make disciples of all nations? Have you ever wondered what it would look like if Christ's most committed followers today actually carried forth that command according to the standards set forth in the New Testament by Christ in the Twelve? If an evangelist were to reach a thousand people a day for Christ in a frozen population, can you imagine how long it would take to reach the world for Jesus Christ? Just over 15,000 years. And imagine the spiritual maturity of these new converts, most of whom receive no real follow-up or discipleship and end up never reaching their full potential in Christ. However, if a committed follower of Christ, we'll call him Paul, were to disciple a new believer for one year, we'll call him Timothy. To the extent that Timothy matures in Christ until he is able to disciple another. For as Luke 6.40 says, the student will become like his teacher. So then, in year two, Timothy has become a disciple of himself and takes on his first student while Paul takes on another student. By the third year, our Paul is discipling his third student while our Timothy is discipling his second student. And our newest student is now able to make disciples as well. If the cycle is not broken, a spiritual downline is created which multiplies to the ends of the earth. Even at an accurate and growing population rate, do you know how long it would take in such a scenario to reach the entire world for Jesus Christ? Just under 37 years. And now imagine the spiritual maturity of these believers, all of whom have been equipped to both be and to make disciples of Jesus Christ. This is why Christ's last command of his followers is not to make converts, but to make disciples of all nations. Yeah, so pretty cheesy, but kind of effective. I was shown that in my high school discipleship class, and it's, um, I searched for hours to find it, and then Dan helped me find it in about two seconds. So, yeah. Um, but today I'm going to go through three main points. I can just talk about them. My three main points are going to be, um, first, what even is discipleship? Second, what are the phases um, within discipleship? And then third, application. Um, so to move forward, you're fine. Don't worry about it. Um, just to talk a little bit about what even is discipleship. Um, the, the word discipleship, as it's used in context today, is never used in the Bible. So you can imagine how easy uh, writing this talk was um, if the word was never used in the Bible. Um, but what is said in the Bible is um, Jesus, through his teachings and through his example and through the authors of the New Testament, um, they tell us how to be a Christian, and through that they talk about how to be a disciple. So um, discipleship is not an add-on to Christianity, but it's something that we are instructed to do through Jesus and through the letters of the New Testament authors. And we're going to focus in on Jesus and Peter and the relationship that they had and walk through that from start to finish to look at what discipleship should look like. So, 
Um, first, Jesus meets Simon. Um, I might call him Simon or Simon Peter, but they're all the same. Oh, I'm not going through them. So he first meets him, and he meets them through um, his brother, Andrew, who was a follower of John the Baptist at the time. And so his brother, Andrew, introduces him to Jesus. And then the next day, uh, Jesus meets Peter um, while he's out fishing, and he calls him to be a fisher of men. And so the verse says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, the two, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and, his Andrew, and, his brother, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Um, so what this shows is that Jesus first, he goes to a place in which Peter feels comfortable with doing something that he loves to do. He makes his lifestyle around fishing. So he meets Jesus there and he initiates towards him there. And then he also uses an analogy that um, Peter will understand by saying he's going to make him fisher of men. So he initiates and he relates um, to Peter. Next, um, Jesus begins to live his life with Simon Peter by instructing him as well as the other disciples that he calls um, through his actions. And more specifically, this is the story of um, Jesus healing uh, Simon Peter's mother-in-law. So it says, immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her, and she began to serve them. Um, so what this shows is that Jesus, before even knowing that um, Peter's mother-in-law was sick, that he meets them in their house. So it's not just like a teacher and, and teacher and disciple kind of relationship. It's a life on life. Like he goes to Peter's house, and he lives his life with Peter, and he interacts with him in that way. And also it shows that he desires for Peter um, to be happy. He has a desire for Peter's well-being by healing his mother-in-law and he cares about him. He sees that um, Simon Peter's mother-in-law is sick and that's something that um, he's not, not cool with. Um, and so he heals her and he does it for his glory and for his good. Um, next, um, Jesus meets Simon Peter um, where he's at. And this is the story of Peter. Um, he's out fishing and they don't catch anything all night. And then Jesus comes and he says, why don't you throw your nets on the other side of the boat? And then they catch um, fish to the point where their nets are breaking. And this just shows again how Jesus meets Peter where he's at, interacts with them, and initiates towards, towards him. Um, and then Jesus calls the 12. Um, and here, this is when Jesus equips all of the 12 disciples and calls them into ministry with him. He gives them the um, ability to cast out demons and to do that with him. So he's calling him to take on... Um, to kind of follow him and take on ministry with him and follow him through his journey to Jerusalem. Um, also, it's here when Jesus changes Simon's name to Peter, and I'll touch on that in a little bit. Um, so next, Jesus walks on water. Um, and this is just to show that, um, or this is after feeding the 5,000, Jesus goes up on a mountain to pray, and he sends the disciples out um, to go to their next uh place next destination and Jesus says I'll meet them and while they're in a boat a storm overtakes them and they all kind of start to freak out and Jesus starts to walk on the water towards them um, and calms the storm and uh, Peter walks out on the water with him and it just shows that like um, while there are other meanings to like this passage while yes it talks about like our fear and like 
how when we're focusing on God and um, there's different levels to it, it's just showing that like Jesus reaches out. Um, and as like, someone he's discipling, he reaches out to someone in hardship and he um, wants to be near him when they're going through tough times. And um, there's a lot more to this passage and I really recommend reading it. But this is, I'm just looking at it from a discipleship standpoint. Um, and then Jesus tells Peter that he'll build a church on him. And at the same moment, he confesses that Jesus is the Christ. Um, so he says, Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, What do you say, or who do you say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or the one of or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not, has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Um, I can just stop there. Um, but what he's saying here is that, um, well, first, I'll go back to the verse. Um, he says, it's not through flesh and blood that this has been revealed to you, but it's through the Father. So he's saying, the fact that you know that I am Jesus is not by your own merit. And I think that's something important that we need to remember as we disciple, that the fact that the person we're discipling um, knows Jesus is not by anything that we've done. It's only through what God's done and through his work. Um, and then second, it talks about um, Peter, which in Greek, his name is Petros, which is um, rock or stone. And it talks about how he's going to build a church upon him. And I know we talk about how Christ is the church and how he's the cornerstone. So it's not to say that, like, Peter's above Christ. It's saying that, like, with Jesus as the cornerstone and um, Peter as one of the stones and the 12 disciples as the other stone, it's foreshadowing to him, uh, to the church, the church that we know today, the Christian church being built on Peter and um, his disciples. So it's just kind of foreshadowing about what he will um, be doing later. Um, and this one's just more of a context point, but Jesus tells Peter um, that he will deny him three times, and eventually, after Peter says he won't, he does deny him three times. Um, and then after the resurrection of Jesus, um, Peter is the first disciple, so not the first person, but the first disciple that Jesus um, appears to. And this is to show, like, going back to the three times that he denies him, that he's still initiating towards him, because Jesus knew that Peter denied him, and he said, you're going to, and Peter said, no, I won't. And so it shows that Jesus initiated towards him in the midst of his wrongdoing, in the midst of his sin, and Jesus still um, wanted to pursue him, and there's more to come about this. Um, and then next. Um, so once again, Jesus appears to Peter while he's fishing. So this is like the third or fourth time Jesus appears to the disciples um, while he, after his resurrection and um, they think Jesus is a ghost and Peter sees him and he's like no that's the son of God he jumps out of the boat swims um, to shore and he meets Jesus and then Jesus um, tells Peter um, or asks Peter if he loves him three times and he answers I love you three times and then he tells him to watch over his flock um, he says oopsies. um when I had finished, or when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said this a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He was grieved because he said it to him a third time, Do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying these things, he said, follow me. So if you notice, Peter denied Jesus three times, and then here he says, I love you three times. Um, And this isn't for God, or this isn't for Jesus to hear, he loves me. This is for Peter, because, I mean, it says, Lord, you know everything. So Jesus knew that Peter loved him. Um, But it's for Peter, it's for him to say, like, I know that I committed this sin against you, Father, by saying I don't know you. And so it was for him to say three times, like, I love you, I love you, I love you. And Jesus doesn't just let it in there. He doesn't just say, like, your sins are forgiven, you're good, keep going on. He says, you're going to feed my lambs, you're going to tend to my sheep, um, you're going to feed my sheep, and you're going to follow me. So it's not just, like, you're good, story over. It's, these are the things that I'm going to do through you. So your sins, I I don't remember them anymore. That's what I died for. But... um, here's the things that you're going to do, and he foreshadows to that. Um, so then, um, after the ascension of Jesus, Peter, be- Peter becomes the um, leader of the remaining disciples. And so this is kind of where Peter starts to become um, more of the teacher, and he starts to do um, ministry uh, throughout the book of Acts. And Peter preaches um, to the people of Jerusalem through the means of the Holy Spirit. And then... Um, Peter lives and does all the things that Christ um, instructed him to do and taught him to do. So um, these are just a few examples, but there are many more in the book of Oh, I didn't have that. These are just a few examples, but there's many more in the book of Acts that um, just explain how Peter followed in the footsteps of Jesus. Like he healed, and I already talked about how Jesus healed um, uh, Peter's mother-in-law, and it's all through um, the Holy Spirit in which he's able to do these things, and he's equipping others, which... Um, if you didn't know, this is the same Peter that wrote um, the book that we're reading for the summer. And um, so he's doing the same thing that Jesus did. Was He went out and he taught and he um, um, shared the spirit with others so that they could become disciples and make disciples. Um, so just in summary of what Jesus and Peter's relationship looked like, um, Jesus initiated towards Peter. He led Peter through teaching an example. Jesus equipped Peter. He called out Peter's sin. He loved Peter and initiated towards him in light of his sin. And Jesus sent him out to lead in the same way that he led. I'll let you guys get that down. Okay, I'm going to move on. Um, So this leads us to the next point, the second point. Um, I'm going to cover the phases within discipleship. And I'm going to look at Paul and his relationship with Timothy. I won't go as in-depth as I did with Jesus and Peter. Um, But first, um, Paul was a parent to Timothy. And not in the sense that he became like a father to him, but he became almost like a spiritual father to him. um, Timothy was aware of the gospel before because of his grandmother. And so he knew um, what it was. But Paul kind of took him in and taught him like the ins and outs of the gospel. And um, 
this doesn't mean that when you disciple someone that it that they're going to be a believer right away. It could mean that they're not a believer, and this phase could take months um, to walk them through what the gospel means and for them to become a believer and for them to fully understand what the gospel is. So it could be months, it could be years before they finally um, move out of this parent phase. Um, But then it goes to pace setter, and this is when... um, once Timothy finally understood like the gospel well enough for himself, Paul invited him to keep up with the pace that he was living. So for you, that's, hey, I'm reading the Bible every morning, or I'm trying to read the Bible every morning, and here's the way that I read the Bible. I use the inductive method, or I use the Swedish method. Um, I also go to church every Sunday, and I'm in a discipleship group, and I'd love for you to join one. And um, These are the things that I find helpful to pursue my faith and to keep them moving along, and I think that they'd be important for you to pursue. So it's kind of showing, like, here's how I live my life, and I know I'm not perfect, but it's a way that I feel like I'm growing in God's um, word and in his life. And then finally, there's the partnership. And this is when Paul no longer sees Timothy as someone who needs guidance in his faith, but he saw him as someone he could do ministry with. He trusted him enough to lead his own disciples um, while still maintaining a relationship, which I think that's the most important part is... I think a lot of times in evangelism we think I'm just going to go convert a bunch of people and then I'm going to leave. But what's sweet about discipleship is that um, you get to see someone become a Christian. You get to see someone um, start to grow in their faith. And then when they finally get to make their own disciples, you get to maintain a relationship with them, um, which is really sweet. Because like I said earlier, he was like, Timothy was like a son to him. And when you think of like... um, I know family relationships aren't perfect, but when you think about like um, an ideal father and son relationship, you don't think like as soon as the son's out of the house, he just doesn't want a relationship with with him anymore. He still wants to know how he's doing. He still wants to see him grow. He still wants to catch up with him. Um, So think of discipleship like that. Like once you feel like your disciple or whoever you're in community with has learned the gospel for themselves and they're teaching others, it's not a free pass to just um, get out of relationship with them. Now moving on to um, application. Um, so the first question is, why do we disciple? Um, and if I didn't make it clear with Peter and uh, Jesus, um, Jesus tells us to. Uh, the Great Commission is go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Um, so we're told, and the video at the beginning kind of pointed to that, like we're told to go out and make disciples. That was Jesus' last instruction to us while on earth. And we're also instructed to live like Jesus in Ephesians 4.17. Um, so, like, Peter, or Jesus and Peter had a relationship in which Jesus discipled him. So if we're called to live like Jesus, we're called to also make disciples like Jesus did with Peter. Um, and if Jesus telling you isn't enough, um, John Piper tells you to. Um, <laughs> he says, every Christian should be helping unbelievers become believers by showing them Christ. That is making a disciple. Every Christian should be helping other believers grow to more and more maturity. That is making a disciple. So it's both the um, seeing someone become a Christian and showing them Christ for the first time and seeing them throughout their whole maturity and throughout their whole life. Um, And also, we should be delighted to make disciples. Um, When you love something, you can't help but share about it. Um, On the first or second slide, there is a Rembrandt painting, and I love art history. And so I could talk about that painting for, like, hours. Talk about, like, how the light is coming in. Talk about how the people are posed. Talk about the brush strokes of the waves. And I could go on and on and on. And so 
when I have a love for that, I delight in it. I can't help but share it. And so think about something that you love, like if whether it's like Chase in the wild, he could share about it for days, I'm sure. Or if it's, I'm not even sure what it is, but if it's you in a sports team, you in a kind of music, you can't help but share about it. So do you feel the same about um, the gospel and feel the same about relationships and um, sharing the gospel with others through your relationships? And then um, finally, how do you make disciples? Um, through following the teachings of Jesus, but more specifically, it's through initiating. Um, so that might be initiating a relationship or maybe you have a relationship already. Um, so that can look different depending on where you're at. Um, but one thing that I found um, in my experience was I had a friend who I was discipling who loved working out. And I hate working out with a passion. Um, and so I knew that the only way I could get her to hang out with me was if we went to work out. So I would ask her, hey, do you want to go um, biking at the wellness center at Bethel? And do you want to like maybe go get coffee afterwards? And that was how I got to initiate towards her. I got to start relationship by working out. And it probably was beneficial for me too. I don't know, whatever. Um, so there's that kind of initiating. Um, one more way that I found initiating, and I didn't ask these guys if I could share it, but um, my little brother is a, oh geez, <laughs> is a, um, gonna be a sophomore at Bethel, and just seeing how um, Gabe and Ado initiated towards him. This past year was really sweet. They would, I can't tell you how many times I got calls from Cooper, <laughs> my little brother, asking if they can use the car to go to Flameburger at like 3 a.m. or um, just playing games until the early morning. And I just saw how those guys would put their own wants and desires and feed into them. And how Ado got lunch with Cooper a lot um, and got to hang out with him. And that's just what I see as Christ initiating towards Peter. That's how I see Gabe and Ado initiating towards um, my little brother. Um, it's also persevering through hard relationships um, or difficult times in relationships. Um, I discipled a girl um, who was really difficult to love. She was really mean to me, told me multiple times she didn't like me, um, and it was really hard. But the more I got to know her, the more I realized that she had such a hard past in her life that she put up walls where she would try to push people out just to see who would stay in her life. Um, so that's like, maybe that's happening with people you're discipling. They're putting up these walls because they've been left so many times in their life where they have to have some sort of barrier or screening process to see who's worth keeping in their life. And um, so there might be difficult times. It might be meaning you're not gonna get to study for a test as much as you want to. There might be um, hard conversations you have to have with them calling out their sin or maybe they're calling out your sin. So there's gonna be difficult times in relationships and we're told that there's a cost to being a disciple. Um, and I feel like our cost in the 21st century in America is a lot easier than Peter's cost in 60 AD where he had to get crucified upside down. So I feel like our cost is significantly, while it's still hard for our context, it's not near as hard as the cost that um, people once had. Um, and also rejoice in light of what God's doing in that person's life. It might not mean they're becoming a Christian. Um, with that girl who um, was really hard to disciple, she moved away and so we're not in close contact anymore. We text every so often and about eight months ago, I got a text from her saying, I'm still not there yet. I still don't think I fully trust in who God is, but the way that you pursued me when um, I pushed you away, 
I see now that's how God is pursuing me. And that was really sweet. Not because it was like, oh, good, like I feel so like joyful that she cared, like I got to show her that. It was because like if she can see a glimpse of who God is through the way that I tried to be in relationship, if she could see just a glimpse of what God, how much God loves her, then it was worth it. It was worth staying up till 4 a.m. crying and feeling really bad about myself. It was really worth it just to know that she got to see a glimpse of who God was. Um, and so just to kind of conclude, um, discipleship is going to be hard. We're not told that it's ever going to be easy anywhere in the Bible. We see countless examples of how it's going to be hard. Um, but as Christ followers, we're called to make more followers and we're called to benefit that we're called for everything that we do in our life to benefit his kingdom and to give him glory. And discipleship is one way that we get to do that as Christians.